0: you may get a lucky surge here and there but we're not looking to you know to pass on luck we're looking to you know analyze and make sure that we're doing targeted work
1: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Doing very well. We're getting ready for Halloween. This will date the uh, recording of this episode, but we're a few days from Halloween. We don't have the normal Halloween night routine, but that has not prevented all of the kids from still wanting to have full-on costumes.
2: Oh, well, of course you have to. Yeah. What, so what are you guys going to be doing?
1: We're getting together with some cousins. Okay. And having a little family Halloween.
2: Nice. That'll be fun.
1: So everybody gets to dress up. Everybody will get candy. Mm -hmm. We, I think we'll, it will be like, check, check. We got two main things off the list for Halloween and away we'll go
2: yeah definitely we're we are still we're so torn so we have in our neighborhood there's not too many children in our neighborhood but the children that we do have are just so adorable they are so cute they go all out in costumes every year so i want to still be able to give them candy but how do we do it safely we've debated the idea of doing like that 10-foot tube that some people are doing, like the low candy shoot. Uh, we also have dogs, though, and dogs on Halloween. Our dogs just make Halloween a disaster. To answer the door, so we don't know how that would work with a shoot. So we're we're still trying to figure that out. Um, but we know we are definitely going to buy candy. Reese's are in my future, very near future.
1: Nice. <laughs> well, I, that's what I thought. I figured like this was actually just an opportunity for me to buy the candy that I like.
2: Exactly. Exactly. See, normally every year we go to Costco and like I said, we don't have too many kids in our neighborhood, but we still buy like two or three Costco Costco-sized bags of candy. Um, and of course the, the bag that I want doesn't have the candy that my husband wants. So that's why wow, we have multiple bags and then of course we take the ones that we really like and then we give the other ones to the kids but this year since there's not going to be many trigger treaters we figured we'll just buy one bag each like a normal grocery store size bag and it's only going to be the kind that we like so that anything left over is just definitely for us that night
1: yeah so i we have a couple of uh nut allergies at our house so my normal job is to consume all of the candy with nuts in it. And so this year, because we're buying for ourselves, I don't get to do that.
2: Oh no. Yeah, so
1: no, no Reese's for me. Ooh. I'm gonna wait, I have to wait another calendar year before I can ever eat a Reese's again.
2: Oh man, that's tough. I'll, I'll try and save you one.
1: Please just do. Just
2: one, just one. And I don't know if that one will make it, but I'm gonna try really hard. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your, your effort is appreciated.
2: There
1: you go. Well, I thought that today, we would talk about marketing excuse me i got all choked up there thinking about this topic uh marketing and in particular digital marketing very apropos to the times that we are living in right now and i didn't think it'd be uh any less entertaining to bring in the crew from knockout digital marketing olivia roberts and david joseph to talk to us about that so olivia and david thank you very much for joining us
0: thank you for having us us.
1: we'll give us at least the thirty thousand foot view of Uh, your company, your roles in the company, and who you are as human beings as well.
3: Sure, sure. So Knockout Digital Marketing started by David and I. So we are co-founders. That's our role at the firm. Um, I came from the financial field, and previous to that, I was an attorney. And David and I actually met at Syracuse Law School, so he is an attorney as well. Um, I had the better sense to get out of it almost immediately and into the financial field. Um, He is unfortunately still there. Um, Recently, about a year or so ago, made the transition to doing digital marketing. We work exclusively with financial advisors and attorneys to provide compliant, professional digital marketing uh, for their clients and help them gain prospects, high quality leads, uh, not doing the traditional type of marketing, but doing something different, something unique, and something that works for this industry that we're in.
0: Yeah, and so Olivia kind of, you know, put it out there, but started in law, you know, enjoyed it, but found that in order to be successful, I had to do the the marketing side of things anyway, and found that I really enjoyed that, and you know, um, you know Olivia kind of reached out and had this idea, and I Ran with it. So we've had a lot of fun with working on this angle and, you know, certainly bring a perspective of knowing what attorneys are going to look for and financial advisors are going to look for in their marketing. Um, so I think we bring a good perspective and Olivia was rightfully the smarter of the two to get into to finance versus law, but I think it's worked out for us.
1: Yeah, I have my days where I wonder about the legal profession. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they don't tell you that at the beginning of like law school orientation that everyone has those moments of this was the right choice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, during law school, I clerked for a judge, and I recall the judge telling me that he, his experience was he got out of school, got a job at a big law firm, and he had been there for about a week. He realized <laughs> he hated it, and he just had to get out. And so he, he wasn't really sure what to do. He was there for a couple of years, and then he, and then he came up with the idea of he'd become a prosecutor, and he said when he told everybody in the big firm that he wanted to become a prosecutor, prosecutor, he's like, they, they treated me like I was the village idiot. <laughs> Nobody would want to go from, you know, the Heights, the, the grandeur of big law to being a prosecutor. Nevertheless, he did it and he's on the Arizona Supreme court now. So I guess it worked out for him in the end. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing that I, uh, you know, Rachel and I actually have both come out of big law and uh, you're, you certainly sounds like you've had a similar experience to us that in the legal profession you become a marketer pretty quickly unless you fall into a very special circumstance uh, you become a marketer. So why don't you uh, can you talk a little bit about that vis-a-vis attorneys and you know do attorneys need convincing to be to jump into marketing or is marketing even the right term for what we're trying to describe?
0: So I think first off you know, as an attorney myself, I can say it's more convincing that doing it themselves isn't the right approach. Um, You know, everybody's got 24 hours in a day and, you know, attorneys really should be and are skilled at focusing on the legal aspects. So providing legal services to their clients. And then, you know, it's something of a disservice, I think, for an attorney to say, I'm going to take some of my time and try and be competent at marketing and, you know, develop that skill set in parallel when their time is really best served providing the legal service and letting someone else who's got the marketing skill set, uh, focus on that aspect for them. Oh,
3: I was just going to say that I've, uh, I've never hired an attorney to do my marketing. So I think that's where you start.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nor just would what, you watch to... what you're good at.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, why don't you uh, then maybe explain a bit contextually the types of services that you provide to your clients and then maybe we can dive a bit into the weeds here.
3: Sure, yeah, so we don't do what people traditionally think of as digital marketing, which would be SEO, search engine optimization, Facebook ads, uh, things like that. And we don't do those for a specific reason. So those types of marketing efforts are great for many industries, but the data that we use to derive our software that generates our marketing efforts basically says it does not work for attorneys, financial advisors, and also CPAs. It's just not an effective use of your marketing dollars or your time to spend you know, thousands of dollars on Facebook ads when you're marketing to high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals or corporations, things like that. The best use of your time is gonna be through direct digital marketing. So versus indirect marketing of having clients trying to find you through the website. So if you have a client approach you through an indirect means, That means they're going to know that they need this type of professional, right? So I need an estate planning attorney in my area, or I need a financial advisor because I'm having issues with X, Y, or Z. They need to know that. They need to be able to find you and your firm. Then they need to derive from your website. Yes, this is the person that's most competent in handling or solving the problem that I have. Then they have to proactively reach out to you. There's a lot of steps on the client side of that where they need to find you. And every time there's another step, you just have people drop off one at a time, essentially. So what we do at Knockout Digital Marketing is direct marketing. So our software algorithm that we've built that's proprietary to us, finds people before they know what they're looking for. So basically we're using people's search history to find out that they have an issue that needs solving that one of our clients may be a good fit for. So they don't necessarily know, I need an estate planning attorney. They're Googling things like, probate, you know, how to deal with my parents' estate, things that are stressful that are related to the topic, but they might not necessarily know who they need to help them with that problem. So we use that data to find those individuals, and then we proactively reach out to them as if we're the client, which would be the advisor or the attorney in this case, and we say, you know, hi, Joe, we noticed that this is something that you may be interested in. Here's how we can help with your issue and solve this thing that's causing you stress in your life. And then that derives a much higher response rate. You already know you're getting a qualified prospect. You already know they need your services. And now you're coming to them saying, hey, I think this is something that's stressing you out. Can I help you? And you're going to get a lot more people saying, please, please help me. I need this. And then we match the two people together and you get a much higher success rate with closing as well. When you do it that way.
2: I really like that. That is such a good idea. I feel like, you know, I've gotten so many times like the, the cold call almost or the cold email or, you know, the someone or friends referred a potential client to me and especially for us where we help with a lot of tax issues, you know, they're just coming, I've got a tax issue. It's like, okay, well, let's pinpoint this a little bit more because tax is a huge realm. Are we talking estate tax? Are we talking income tax? Like, let's let's pinpoint it. And so, you know, in terms of um, a client individual who needs help with some, you know, attorney, financial advisor, they don't know exactly what they might be looking for. And so I, I love the fact that you're, you're using, you know, what they're searching for in just terms of what these broad, concepts are and then really pinpointing it to who that exact advisor can be for them that's a great idea
3: thank you yeah
1: how do you how do you work with like the the lawyer's ethics solicitation rules and try to make sure that that attorney clients are compliant with those rules
0: so one of the things that we make sure that we're doing is keeping that review element at the attorney level so we aren't putting messages out we aren't uh putting out advertising or marketing or reaching out to people until the attorney has approved it. Because almost every state has a uh, an ethics rule that says, attorney, you are still responsible for your advertising, no matter if you're running through an agency or you're doing it yourself. So you know, A, we want to look up and make sure that the messaging that we're preparing is compliant with the rule, but then B, making sure that we've established with our client, hey, you're going to have to approve this, but we're going to get you there so that the approval process is easy and it's quick and you can be confident that we've done the legwork in advance.
1: And is it similar, and this is probably an ignorant question, but is it is it similar then with financial advisors? Do they have similar constraints on on advertising and solicitation like the lawyer ethics rules do?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So there's generally two types of regulation out there for financial advisors. The SEC provides regulation, so anybody that's an independent RIA advisor is subject to the SEC rules, and then other advisors that are affiliated with a broker-dealer or they're charging commissions are regulated also by FINRA, which is a much more strict set of rules. And um, I used to work in compliance at a large broker-dealer, so we're intimately familiar with all of the rules, and it's the same process where we make sure that it abides by SEC rules, FINRA rules, the firm's own, and internal compliance rules, the advisor still must approve it. And in the financial advisor's case, it also goes to their ad review team, which is usually at their you know, third party or in-house compliance team for approval.
1: Let's get into the details then, the mundane stuff, I guess then. Uh, so, so what specifically, what types of efforts do you see marketing-wise that don't work, that are prevalent?
3: Yeah. So David and I just had a call <laughs> where a guy spent I don't know how many thousands of dollars on mailers. Uh, and I, our first question was, why? <laughs> why? Why are we doing this? Um, he's a high net worth, ultra high net worth financial advisor. And I think all of us are in about the same age range where I don't check my mail for anything. I look at it. I see if it's a bill. And if it's not, I put it right in the trash, unless it's a Bed, Bath & Beyond coupon. Uh, keep those. Um, but I told him, you know, are you tracking your results? Are you seeing anything from this? The answer is no, I'm not tracking it. And I don't know if I'm seeing results, but I can tell you the answer is no on that side as well. Um, The things that don't work are going to be very lengthy white papers, mass messages to all of your clients. So instead of sending, let's call it, you know, a two to five page white paper on a specific topic that's, that's really detailed and granular and you think this is going to be really useful for my client, you have to think in the back of your mind, that's why the client hired you <laughs> because they, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to read the IRS legislation or the legal code themselves to figure out what the answer was. They don't find it nearly as interesting as you or I do. Um, that's why you're engaged in that relationship. If you're gonna send something to a client, it should be always something that's important to that client. And you don't need to go through and think on an individual client basis oh, I know Joe's going to want to hear about this and Tom's going to want to hear about this. You can segment your clients by more general terms and you can market to that one specific thing. So for example, attorneys and financial advisors, your clients are probably going to be impacted by this upcoming likely change in tax legislation under the Biden administration. It'd be easy for you to say, let me sort my book. Everybody that has $4 million net worth or higher, let's say, I know that they're going to be impacted by this change in the estate tax limitation, your lifetime exemption limit. So I'm going to send an email to just those clients, not the clients that have less than that, just those clients and say, hey client, I'm sure you've been watching the news and following this closely. This is coming... light. And I think it's going to be really likely that this legislation is going to impact you. This is what it is. And this is a tip or a trick or something that's going to help you. If you have any questions, let's set up a 15 minute meeting. That way, every time that client sees an email from you, they think, I know this is something important. I know this is worth my time. I'm going to open this email. And then that one time you send them an email asking for a referral, they open that one too, (laughs) because they think it's important. Um, versus just bombarding them with blog after blog piece or these you know, lengthy pieces of paper. Um, other things that don't work, like I said before, Facebook advertising for financial advisors it doesn't work, but it does work for attorneys. That's what our data shows. So financial advisors don't waste your money on it. Attorneys, that's a pretty good place actually to spend your money is on Facebook advertising, Um, depending on your client base, but talking about mostly estate planning attorneys on the Facebook marketing side. um, Direct mailers, obviously, (laughs) it's not something that you want to waste your time with. Um, But then also the way that you sell yourself on your website and in person to clients, the things that don't work are the way that all of us introduce ourselves to each other (laughs) before this call. So, you know, I'm Olivia, I have a JD, MBA, CFP, I have, you know, 15 years of industry experience, blah, blah, blah. A client doesn't know what those terms mean, nor do they really resonate with the client. What I'm hearing is you have a lot of student loan debt, and I respect that, but that's not solving any of my problems as a client. The way that you should really present yourself is how do you solve a problem for that client? So if you are a financial advisor and you're going in the liquidity event space, so that's probably the high net worth, ultra high net worth area, people that are going through a business sale. You have to think to yourself, most of these clients have never gone through a liquidity event before. They went from a largely illiquid set of assets, and now they're going to go into a massive liquidity event and they're no longer going to be receiving an income. They're going to be transitioning to living off of their portfolio, which is essentially like an early retirement for these people. That is a very stressful event. So you should be positioning yourself to say, how can I alleviate the stress that this person is feeling? And That's how you would introduce yourself on your website, in person, in all of your marketing materials. So uh, Brent, when I reached out to you through LinkedIn, we use the same algorithm that we use for our clients. If you read that message again, you'll notice we don't start with, hi, I'm... Olivia, and I'm also an attorney, and I'm also a financial advisor, and I have all of this experience, and this is why you would want to work with me. We started off with nothing that says I. It's all about you and the things that you're interested in, and do you have a need are you stressed out you know due to covid are you not seeing a lot of prospects coming in do you need help with this this is something that we can help you with so it's a much different conversation and you'll increase your closing rate dramatically just by flipping the conversation that way
1: yeah and that's uh, it, we get contacted quite a bit in that not not in the way that you message it but we get uh, contacted quite a bit by um, people wanting to sell us their services sometimes the you know we'll get a, a solicitation it'll say something along the lines and I honestly I cannot remember what yours said so I apologize but, um, it'll say something along the lines of are you stressed out and you can't find clients I'm like no I'm stressed out because I have lots of clients <laughs> my problem is I have lots of clients it, yeah it's a good problem to have but that's you know it's getting getting marketed somewhat to your point you know getting marketed in a way that doesn't fit my circumstance. That's not my pressure, pressure point. That's not my pain point. My pain point is efficiency and improvements and team building and those sorts of things. That's my, that's my pain point. And I think that's really difficult to know without gathering information. Do, do you guys try to kind of bridge that gap in some way? so you can tailor the message to the recipient?
3: Yeah, I would say we do the best we can. So in your case, Brent, you're you're in a bit of a minority situation with too many clients. <laughs> uh, again, good problem to have, but... Not,
1: not too many, just plenty of them.
3: Plenty of them. We're plenty right?
1: busy. Finding <laughs> clients isn't the problem. Servicing the clients is more where our efforts are.
3: Right, right. So I think people can get really caught up in the weeds of trying to be too personalized to every person they're reaching out to. So just like the example I gave before, you don't want to send an individual message to every one of your 200 clients. That's not an efficient use of your time. You want to try to catch as many as you can with a wide net. And exclude as many as you can with some sort of reasonable sense of accuracy. So when we tried to cast the net to you, we didn't know that you had, you know, a different thing in mind for what you were stressed out about. But our metric said you're most likely stressed out about not having enough chances at that with prospects. So that may have been inaccurate for you, but it's accurate for 90% of the people that we reach out to. So we don't, we don't spend the extra, let's call it 20 hours to try to weed out those individual people. It's not an efficient use of, of our time and efficiency is also one of our concerns. So I think in those cases, you kind of just got to do your best estimation of reaching the most amount of appropriate people without worrying of one or two kind of get
2: through.
1: Yeah. And I think that's it. And I, you know, I'm never offended. I'm never, I've never been offended by being solicited for anything, whether it was on point or not. Frankly, a lot of times, uh, even if I'm solicited and it's not quite on on point to me personally, I take it as a way to learn because I'm, you know, I'm the one experiencing it. And I know that there's a reverse to that in my business of me reaching out to clients as you're talking about. I mean, what you were describing sounds like my September of trying to catalog all the clients and figure out like, all right, who is getting this letter? Who's getting this other letter Uh, because of potential changes and workflow and how we're gonna service everybody by year end. Um, I look at it as as trying to learn and trying to improve our process of reaching out to people. So if I get a solicitation, I'm like, yeah, that didn't work. We're never doing that. it doesn't it doesn't offend me in that way because it's a learning process
0: for me. Right. And and something else that we see to go back to your you know what doesn't work question is that unwillingness to engage in revision or tailoring. And so you'll find people who they have a sense or they have a a belief as to what the the best approach is, and then they keep doing it, and they're not seeing results, and they're not seeing uh, improvements or any changes in what's coming back to them. And that's something that you know, not not digging into the analytics, not looking at and tracking your results. That's something that you're not going to get any improvement if you're not looking at those things. You may get a lucky surge here and there, but we're not looking to, you know, to pass on luck. We're looking to you know, analyze and make sure that we're doing targeted work. So how
1: do you measure then what, what are the metrics that you try to track for your clients?
3: We track everything. So (laughs) I am a bit of a data nerd, but I think that everybody should be. So anything that you're spending money on, you should be tracking response rates and as best possible, you know, marketing gets a, a little bit muddy, when you have a lot of different things going on. But as best possible, you want to narrow it down by each different marketing effort. So the way that we do it, we're only reaching out through two mediums. So it's easy for us to track who responds and from where. And um, When you have SEO and you're doing blogs and webinars and client referrals and you know COI events and things like that, you're going to have a lot of stuff going on. But tracking is probably the single most important piece to marketing. You know what's working and what's not. A lot of times, most times, um, advisors and attorneys will spend a lot of money, to David's point, on stuff that doesn't work. And then they don't give stuff that is working enough of a chance. You're going to start a marketing firm and you're going to think after two months, this is not working, but it needs to build up. It needs to have lead time. And if you're not tracking that, you're not going to realize that that company is working for you um, or that solicitation stream is working for you. So, all of the metrics that we keep, um, we keep basically in a spreadsheet, just like anybody else could keep. But there's things that you can download, like Google Analytics, for example, it's free to download and anybody can go in and they can put it on their website. So you can go, you could put it on your website. You know, we talked about how many people listen to these, you know, podcasts and you said, I don't know, I don't track it, right? <laughs> so you could put Google Analytics on the website and you could know exactly how many people are clicking on this one link to listen to this one webinar versus a different webinar about a different topic. And you may find over time, I'm getting a lot more traction on tax podcasts or I'm getting a lot more traction when there's this length versus this this length, or when we post it on a Tuesday versus a Thursday, all of that data is useful. And if you have enough data, you'll notice trends and you'll be able to capitalize on those trends.
2: So I'd like to go back to your point about uh, social media. You know, you brought up Facebook ads. Obviously, social media is huge. It's only getting bigger. So many more platforms keep coming out. Now we've got TikTok and everything. Um, Where do you see that, especially, you know, like with with Brett and I's field and we're talking about, you know, financial advisors when we're looking at a specific set of clients, you know, like the high net worth, ultra high net worth, but we're seeing so many more people now joining different social media platforms. How does that kind of play into marketing and do you think it's kind of worthwhile for someone to, you know, devote some time to that?
3: I just want to say that David is huge on TikTok. If you guys haven't checked out his page, you did. (laughs) um yeah so social media is interesting i guess it depends what you categorize that social media ads because for financial advisors and attorneys and i'll throw in cpas too if you're working in the mass affluent all the way through to the ultra high net worth space linkedin if you consider that to be social media or not linkedin is going to be the highest response rate that you're going to see in terms of client engagement a- across the board it's because people in that net worth range don't wanna be marketed to about something professional on their Instagram or on a TikTok video. I I guarantee you if we put out a video like that, (laughs) we wouldn't get any clients. I think it would probably hurt our brand um, just due to my dancing skills. Um, But certain things do work, like I said, Facebook. So for whatever reason, our data shows that for certain types of attorneys, Facebook is a really good medium. So class action attorneys, you get a lot of traction on Facebook, but again, that's a different type of marketing that you're doing. You're not going after this higher net worth range. You're going after kind of a wider swath of people, um, trust in estate planning at that range, you can get them on Facebook. But if you're doing trust and estate planning for people with taxable estates, that's not a good way to reach them. So I think there's maybe a socioeconomic component to the way that these industries do their marketing and what people respond to. So yeah, maybe a lot of people are getting onto these social media platforms, but is that really where they want to find a corporate attorney? Is that really where they want to find you know a high net worth financial advisor? The data suggests that it's not, but LinkedIn is powerful. And LinkedIn's a really easy thing for people to get comfortable with and to send out messages and build their network effectively. You know, some of these tips and stuff you can do yourself. You don't necessarily need a marketing agency if you're just starting out and it's not in your budget. You can use some of these tools. So make sure, you know, make sure your LinkedIn looks good. Make sure you're selling yourself to solve a problem. People are going to look at your page, make sure you have a really wide network. You're friends with clients, friends, you're building that strong connection so that when they see your name, it's not the first time they've seen your name. They say, oh, you're friends with so-and-so. Whether or not you know so-and-so, it's irrelevant. (laughs) You're connected to that person. And then when you send them a message, it's personalized and they think that you're sending a message directly to them.
1: Yeah. And I guess uh, maybe we should drill down on that just a little bit in terms of Social media reach, because I think we're talking about two different things, unless I'm missing it. Which is um, targeted, advertised, paid reach versus organic reach. So, can you differentiate those if I'm if I'm getting the nomenclature right?
3: So, you're talking about just building up your social media presence versus actually paying for ads. Yeah, sure. So, the firm that I used to work for spent a tremendous amount of time and energy, and they hired a full time person to manage their Instagram page to connect with all of the clients and then all of their centers of influence um they got 26 people (laughs) so sure you could have a presence on those things it's not a bad thing to have a presence but you have to make sure that you're using it for what it's intended to so if you're going to have an instagram page i wouldn't expect to see a lot of clients coming in from that i would do it as more of a community involvement community outreach type page like this is our firm and this is our employees having fun, and this is how we engage with our community, you know, us volunteering at a food pantry, donating blood, whatever the case may be, and that's the association that you want people to have with you when they're on that particular medium, but if you're using that to post things about, oh, look at this new IRS tax code, or, you know, look at this new piece of legislation, it just, it doesn't match with what people are going to that site for, so I think you you can spend time there if you want to. Our metrics suggest that you're not going to get a good return on your time by doing that or investment if you're hiring somebody to do stuff like that. But it's not a bad thing to say, hey, my firm's active in the community and so are some of our clients and I want them to see that side of us and they're active on you know, Instagram or TikTok or whatever the social media platform may be.
0: Yeah. And one of our focuses is, is really that efficiency of making sure that the people we're connecting with need to solve the problems that we're able to to connect them to solve. So again, the person who finds uh, a lawyer on Instagram or, you know, sometimes on Facebook may not be the same client that a person is looking to build their firm or build their book of business around. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, certainly, You know, I've needed lawyers and, you know, people, you know, exponentially more wealthy than I need lawyers, and we don't always need the same lawyer. But what Olivia and I try to focus on is, again, that idea of who is the client that you're looking to attract, and are you using the right method to attract that client versus any client who might need a lawyer or a financial advisor?
1: So, what about, um, traditional I, I guess traditional kind of uh, center of influence client referral type uh, marketing how does that mesh if at all with the digital marketing efforts that you're helping clients with
0: um, so I think the first step you know in our our thought process is that your clients should be your biggest base they should your happy clients should be giving your name to their colleagues that need services as well. and So that's something that we try to emphasize is, you know, yes, if you have a client that you know is going to be happy with you, you know, have them leave you a review somewhere or, you know, make sure that they know that, hey, please refer out my business. That's going to help me, you know, and I have a service that was was valuable to you. Um, so there definitely is something to that. But what I think what we've seen you wanna be careful of is making sure that you're not putting effort down directions that aren't gonna pay off for you. So if you're building a relationship with somebody and you think they're gonna be a referral source for you or a COI, you want to make sure that they have the same understanding and that they're going to be situated in uh or they're going to be in situations where they can refer you clients. So, you know, we see a lot of times financial advisors and attorneys will uh kind of pair up and they'll say yes, I'm going to I'll refer you business, you refer me business. But oftentimes it goes one way and all of a sudden one side of that partnership is going well, I'm not seeing any business out of this. I'm you know, maybe I need to sink more time into it. When the reality is that the other side just may not be in a position to refer you their services or refer someone your services, sorry.
3: And we're talking to financial advisors specifically, <laughs> working with the state planning attorneys there. Uh, any financial advisor that's listening to this, I'm sure has the exact same pain point is that I am dumping tons of money and gifts and time and lunches into partnering with estate planning attorneys because I refer them so much business and how come I'm not getting any business from them? It is mostly a one-way channel and you have to understand that. I wouldn't sink any sort of efforts into that. The first question you should ask somebody that's a center of influence or referral sources, do you give referrals? (laughs) Is Is that something you do? And a lot of times you'll hear them say no, either no I'm not comfortable doing that or you know what I don't usually have the opportunity and you'll hear that a lot from attorneys working with financial advisors but the opposite holds true, right? So estate planning attorneys that are listening, tons and tons of financial advisors are looking for estate planning attorneys to refer their clients to because they're in the situation first when they're working with a client that says, you know, hey, it looks like you have a taxable estate. Have you considered doing an irrevocable life insurance trust or a grant or retained annuity trust or whatever the case may be? You need an attorney for that. Is your attorney competent enough to handle something like that? Do you need a referral? And When I was a financial advisor, every single financial plan that I worked on had an opportunity for a referral. Sometimes it was a divorce attorney. Sometimes it was a business attorney. A lot of times it was trust and estate planning attorneys. So you have to know which way the client is coming, and to make sure to focus your money on relationships where they're coming towards you?
0: Yeah,
1: and that's all very uh, true for our practice. We try to we try to refer clients where appropriate to uh, financial advisors because we think we we know some good ones and and we try to work with good advisors who will add value to our clients. Um, and it tends to be for us that our our clients, especially high net worth clients, they don't come to us directly. They come to us through someone else, somebody else who's already on their team, like a accountant or a financial advisor, sometimes insurance, sometimes it's a friend. Um, that's how they get looped into us. It's not because they looked our, our website up. Uh, or they listen to the podcast or something like that. That's not um, that's not the main source of our of our clients. And so we're usually thinking about, okay, if that is all true, how do we make sure that all of, those people who we work with and who do refer clients to us, think of us and think of us as a valuable piece of the puzzle for them too. So what do we do to fill in those pieces sort of back, you know, back into that conclusion on their end? Exactly. So what, what why don't you give us then, uh, we'll say your the top five best things uh, people can do to improve their marketing efforts. I guess when I say people, we're, we're really talking about lawyers and uh, financial advisors, but this does go beyond lawyers and financial advisors?
0: So I think uh, you know, I can take maybe the first crack or two. Um, elevator pitches and making sure that if you've got a web page, that it's clear and concise and succinct upfront what problem you're solving for a client and how they can reach you. Um, one thing that we often see is that you've got these contact me type forms where you fill out five or six or ten fields about who you are and what, what your issue is, why you're contacting the firm. And we just see that that uh, click-through rate or that retention rate drops um, because it's hard because you you're now making someone work to come get your services. So I think one of the first things to do is, again, just what problem do you solve and how can I contact you? And if you do that well enough, you're going to get calls your phone's going to ring because it's easy to get you know it's it's easy to engage with you versus having to go through hoops. The other thing when you're when you're reaching out is again just crafting the narrative of being a problem solver for the client you know coming from the legal field, where I went to school, what journals I was on those are things that are important to me as an attorney and they're important to my my legal colleagues um, because those are things we grew up with but again the the client isn't necessarily going to know what's important or what's significant. They really are only coming to you because they need help. So again, putting yourself in their shoes and saying, okay, what problem can I solve? How can I make it simple for you to go? Yes, this is the person I need. They're going to be able to solve my problem for me. I would say along
3: with that tracking, know what works and know what doesn't work. And if you're out there guessing, you don't know. So just have somebody in your office ask people, oh, how'd you hear about us, right? Oh, I just stumbled upon you through your website. Oh, okay. Website, great. Or actually, I was referred by my CPA at so-and-so. Okay, great. Let's send a thank you to that CPA, right? You want to know what's working so you can funnel your time, your attention, and your marketing dollars into what's working. And simultaneously, you can cut what's not working. And that's probably the single most important piece of it. And then I would say what other tips and tricks I would say, you really want to make sure that you know your clients and what they're looking for. So you can't be everything to all people. And if you try to do that, it's going to be bad for your business. So you want to focus in on what's my target market. And instead of saying, like David said before, not what makes me unique is a lot of people fall into that trap. Um, I rarely hear clients say, I like that advisor because he was so unique. (laughs) Just what what problem am I solving, right? So what's my target client base? What is their issue that I'm trying to solve and how do I solve that? And that's how you market yourself and everything. And then the next tip would be if you're gonna start marketing yourself, don't start any message with I. And if you try (laughs) to sit down and think for a second, how to start a message about your services without starting with the word I. It is—it is mind-boggling how hard it is to start it with something other than I, <laughs> as we know. Um, but you really have to sit down and try to avoid using that. The retention, or the sorry, the response rate when you say I as the first thing to any client drops so dramatically. Any other word is fine. Um, And then the last tip, don't try to do it yourself. (laughs) So all of those things to say, know where your time is most valuable. If you're charging $500 an hour for your billable hours, is it really worth your time to spend 10 hours a week on marketing? I would argue that it's not. There's no reason that everybody needs to be an expert in Social media marketing, or drafting your own blogs or white papers, or reaching out to clients and prospects on an individual basis—hire a firm that can do that for you, and know that you're getting a good return on your investment. So, if you think I'm going to go with the cheapest place on the street because I only want to spend $200 a month, but you're expecting to get $100,000 a year in reoccurring revenue from that be realistic with your expectations it's worth putting in a little bit more money up front to know that you're getting something of higher quality and if you're seeing that return on investment you shouldn't be shy to put more money into that right if you're spending five thousand dollars a month on marketing but it's returning you twenty thousand dollars in reoccurring revenue you should just keep putting more money into that as much as possible until it stops working basically so it's important to know basically what works and what doesn't, and to hire people that also know what works and what doesn't.
1: But it makes the, it makes the tracking so much more important, right? Because you don't know mm-hmm. if the resources you're throwing at your marketing efforts are doing any good if you're not doing the tracking.
3: Absolutely.
2: Now, have you guys noticed any differences um, with you know the pandemic? It does during COVID. Now, you know we've seen obviously. We don't go to networking events like we used to. We don't go out to lunch with, you know, a lot of our referral sources anymore. We're doing a lot of Zoom coffees and everything. But is there anything now on the marketing side that you've seen that just doesn't work or that, you know, this is more kind of the trend on where people are going during COVID?
3: So it's actually improved our response rate. So because people are getting more comfortable online, they're spending more time at home online. And I think also... Part of it is because your work hours are no longer nine to five. Unfortunately, you know, you're checking your phone all day because home is work and work is home. Um, and all, although that is disappointing <laughs> uh, on some personal level, it is increasing our response rate pretty dramatically. So I think the time is now that uh, people are more comfortable. Working online, so reaching out to people where they are is important. So you know, mailers, right? Not not important. <laughs> they're not at their mailbox all the time. But people are on their phone. They're on their computer all the time. And hitting up them up through email and through LinkedIn is where you're going to get the highest response rate. And now it's true more than ever.
1: Well, we appreciate very much uh, all the pearls of wisdom and the time you've devoted. Uh, how can people reach you should they need to reach you
3: sure? Yeah, you could reach us on our website if that's easiest It's just think You could send us an email through there Give us a call any way you want all of our information is on our website as well as all of our services
1: Excellent, and we'll add those to the show notes as well. So hopefully uh, everybody can find them easily uh, obviously uh, Olivia and David, you know what you're talking about and you do good work for your clients so uh, anybody in 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 need or in a fog about marketing and how to do it uh, you you would be a good resource for them for sure uh, thanks again uh, we should do this again sometime and maybe have a periodic uh, check-in to see what's what's happening in your world and what's happening in our world
0: absolutely good.
1: all right thanks again take care
0: thank you both. thank you
1: Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us reviews. uh, Subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law. Basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.